listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. It's talking about the birth of Jesus because, well, first of all, Jesus was a child at some point in his human ministry. And there's just something awesome about kids, especially when you can watch and enjoy a production where kids say, hi, mom, during the, the acting, right? Isn't that amazing? I love that. You don't get that in Hollywood. Um, but seriously, that's, that's part of the wonder of kids, the innocence. Um, and when we think about what Jesus had to accomplish, being a man, not just God, but also being man, he went through every phase of a human life. He went through, through every phase from conception to, the, and not conception, but rather from the moment that we have uh, uh, life within the womb, from that very moment onward, every phase of human existence that a person goes through till his adult life in the, his 30s at age 33 the death on, his, on the cross, and then subsequently he continues to be fully man. That's something we forget sometimes, I think. A lot of people will say Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was a man. No, Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is a man. See, it's not that his man existence ended. It's not a temporary phase that he went through. Manhood was not a suit that he wore. So we need to understand, because I think as Christians, we often, we, we focus so much on the deity of Christ, rightly so, that we forget about the manhood aspect. The world is on the other side of the fence. The world's like, well, he was a man. I mean, he died, right? He was a man. And they typically don't acknowledge that there was a resurrection, so they're fine with Jesus the man, the teacher, the prophet even, but not Jesus God. And then in the church, we're so accustomed to the deity because we sing songs, we pray in the name of Jesus, and we need to kind of remind ourselves of the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What, what is the nature of his person? That's the magic of Christmas. See, in this series, Humble King, the magic of Christmas, we say, is found in the beauty of a manifold king. He is humble, he is human, he is glorious, he is God. And so when we talk about that, and Brian already got us started on this last week, there's a, there, there's a dimensionality to Jesus, and I don't even know if that's the right word, but Jesus is God and he is man. As Brian uh, humorously put last week, Jesus pooped. Yes, he did. And that's, a, that's an important reminder not the poop part, but the fact that he went through every phase of human existence because he was fully human. When we say the word manifold, as Pastor Jason explained in the intro of the series, we mean a, a nature that's a variety. Manifold is a word that I love because in mathematics it comes up in the study of manifolds. And don't worry, I'm not going to bore you with a math lecture. The semester ended at CBU. I'm a math professor, so we talk about things like manifolds. But manifold means various. There's, just, there's, there's a varietal form to the existence of Jesus, to the fact that he is God and man. He is humble yet glorious. Things that we can't understand are fully reconciled simultaneously in the person of Jesus Christ. 
So that's what we want to explore because really that's what Christmas is about. See, Christmas, first and foremost, is an opportunity to celebrate and marvel at the incarnation. It is an opportunity to celebrate and marvel the incarnation. Now let's think about what incarnation means. Incarnation comes from the Latin word uh, carne, and carne usually, uh, for those of us that speak Spanish, we know that means meat or flesh, and rightly so. So when we talk about incarnation, what we're talking about is that Jesus goes through an in-fleshing. He takes on flesh. He takes on blood. So the marvel and the celebration of the incarnation, why do we, what, what does that mean? Why are we celebrating Jesus becoming man? We need to understand why he needs to become man prior to his incarnation. And for that, we're going to spend time today on our main scripture, Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15. That's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. If you're on your phone Bibles or on a physical Bible, you can stay there because that's really, for the most part, where we will be staying today. I will mention other passages, but that's our central scripture. See, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, which I believe are on the screen, it says... Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. All right, let's break that down. The first thing it says is that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, let's clarify that's us. We have flesh and blood. So when, we, when it says here the children, we're referring to humanity, man and woman. And since we have flesh and blood, it says he likewise has to partake of the same things. Likewise, he has to partake of the same things. So let's get this straight. Jesus is not putting on a suit of flesh a God inside of a man's suit. Jesus is partaking that nature. In John John 1, it says that he became flesh. This is part of his existence from that moment on forevermore. Jesus is today man, fully man. And we forget that sometimes. I forget that sometimes, but he is fully man. And so... There was a council back in the early days of the church. It was the Council of Chalcedon. And in this council, they, they, they really had to set, sit down and talk about this because there was confusion. It's easy to fall in error about the person of Jesus because his nature is, let's be honest, a little confusing. So it's easy to fall in error. And so what they came up with in a nutshell is something that some people call the four fences. And this is how you can make sure from today onward that you don't fall into error outside of our biblical narrative of who Jesus is. It's called the four fences. And here it is. Jesus is fully God, fully man, one person, two natures. Let's say that again. Jesus is fully God, fully man, one person with two natures. See, Jesus is not a half man, half God. I often remember... Hercules, 
when people sometimes think about Jesus being a man-god, they think he's a demigod like Hercules was. If you were like me in the 90s, you watched Kevin Sorbo playing Hercules in that cheesy series. I watched it and I loved it. And not so long ago, it was back on Netflix. They put it on Netflix. I was so excited. Oh, let's watch Kevin Sorbo play Hercules. Man, it was crappy. It was really bad acting, bad production, bad everything. (laughs) Now, but think about it. Whenever you see Hercules in Hollywood, he's often portrayed as a man that is fully man, but has exceeding strength, a strength that surpasses that of any other human being. In fact, any time we see demigods, that's how they're portrayed. Wonder Woman, for example, in the cinematic universe of DC, Wonder Woman is, technically speaking, a demigod. And so she's human, but she has this supernatural strength. But she could die. And she's not exactly a god and a woman at the same time. Uh, when you think about, now I'm really geeking out for those of, of us that are comic book fans, when you think about Jean Grey, Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix, it's almost like two people that are coexisting within her schizophrenically. That's not what Jesus is. Jesus is not a, well, there's a person Jesus that's man. There's a man Jesus and there's a God Jesus, and they're often trying to negotiate how they continue to exist. No. They're not schizophrenically or bipolarly existing. It's one, one person, one person with two natures. And these natures are what some theologians call hypostatically united. This is a union that's really hard for us to understand. He is fully God. He is fully man. He sneezes. He poops. He itches, he scratches his arm, but he is fully God. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the name above all names. We can't separate the two. As weird as that is, we must understand that he is fully God, fully man, one person, two natures. It's, it's, I know it's hard for us to process But as we continue today in this passage, we're going to see that it was necessary that such a deity exists. It was necessary for us to have Jesus, the God-man, fully God and fully man. See, what we learn is that Jesus became human so that he could die. He became human so that he could die. The pre-incarnate version of Jesus, Jesus before Christmas, right? The pre-incarnate version of Jesus was fully God. And that's it. He was one person in the Trinity that was fully God. He was not fully man. The incarnation happens. and Jesus willingly puts himself through the process of now marrying the two natures and becoming fully God and fully man just so that he could die. See, when we see that passage we just read in Hebrews 2, it says that he did, yes, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, so he partook of the same nature of us so that he could die. Just picture that for a moment. This is so groundbreaking that the, the atheist, the famous atheist Richard Dawkins says, that's humiliating. What, what kind of God is that? That's humiliating. He becomes man so that he can die. What God wants to die. 
That's what Jesus did for us. We must understand that when we break down this passage, it is saying he did partake of the human nature that we have so that he could die. So that he could die. See, in dying in our place, the devil can no longer scare us with death. When you look at this passage, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, now that he can die, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Let's unpack that verse 15 for a moment. Through the fear of death, we're subject to lifelong slavery. I remember as a child the first time I was introduced to the concept of death. A parakeet that we had died. And I was heartbroken because the parakeet wouldn't wake up. I didn't understand death yet. And my parents sat down with me and explained the concept of death. And it was so scarring to process and understand what death meant that it, I think it forever changed my life. And it started a process of trying to fight this fear. I was afraid of dying. I was afraid of my parents dying. I was afraid of my friends dying, of my sister dying. What does this mean? Is it the end? Do I, is there a day where I will no longer wake up? It's encoded even in your genetics. We are afraid of death. In fact, biology says that we have a, 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 an instinct for survival. We, we, we try to survive. Even animals try to survive. We fight to survive. So we are afraid of death. And it says it there, it's to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I remember that lifelong slavery of fearing death, but even more than just death, what might follow death. See, to the world, death is just, okay, you don't wake up again. You never process. You never think again. You never dream again. Nothing happens. But in the Bible, we read that our sins make us accountable. We are accountable to judgment. It's, it's hard to talk about this stuff, but deep down inside, we know that sin deserves death. It deserves punishment. It deserves wrath. Those are icky words. I don't like using them, but they're there. The, the, the reality of the matter is, if I sit down and I list all the bad things I've done, I can agree that I am, in deserving, I am deserving of wrath. I am deserving justice. See, God needs to be just. And sin deserves condemnation. Now the story, thankfully, doesn't end there. God must be just. He must punish sin. But he is a merciful God. He wants to provide for a way to, uh, he wants to provide for a way to us avoid the condemnation, for us to be redeemed, for us to be saved, for us to be forgiven. And that is the purpose to the death. See, a lot of times, we can think, well, why did, why did he need to die? I get it. When I read Hebrews chapter 2, it says he had to become human so that he could die for us. But why did he need to die for us? Why can't God just forgive us? What's, what's with the blood, Jesus? What, what, what's this bloody affair? 
You know, especially when you watch a movie like Passion of the Christ and, and you see the, the gruesome nature of what Jesus had to go through. What's the deal, God? Just forgive us. Can you just be a more contemporary version of a forgiving God that doesn't put Jesus through this misery? Why did he have to die? And so here's the problem. Uh, we require something that the Bible calls propitiation. Propitiation. It's our fancy word of the day. Here it goes. Propitiation is an atoning sacrifice that puts away sin and satisfies God's just wrath. Fair wrath. It is a fair wrath because we deserve it because of our sin. Because of the things that I've done in my past that I don't even want to remember. It is a deserving wrath. So propitiation is an atoning sacrifice that puts away sin and satisfies God's just wrath. Like I said earlier, I'm a mathematician. There's this word I like that's called optimization. It's when you're trying to balance two things that are kind of, uh, they're, they're, they're in reverse uh, directions of each other. Cost effective, I, I don't want to spend too much money uh, but I want it to be good. And usually when you sacrifice paying for a product, then the quality goes down. So if you pay a lot, the quality goes up. But you don't want to pay too much. You have to balance it out. Even in our phones, if you want to store a lot of songs in your phones, the quality of your songs goes down. Why? Because it requires data. So we often have to optimize, for those of us that are you know, iPhone or uh, smartphone users, we have to say, well, I want the size of my file to be big enough that the quality of the song isn't sacrificed, but I can't make it the full quality because then I can only fit 100 songs on my phone. So I need to optimize. How can I balance things out? How can two things coexist? Jesus is the ultimate optimization, the ultimate balancing. Think about this. God must be just and he must be merciful. He must punish sin. Our very nature knows it. We know sin must be punished. When we see horrific things happen in the world, when we see, for example, the allegations against Harvey Weinstein and all this, the, the, the sexual harassment that these women, these actresses, and many others have had to go through, we cry, justice! Justice! Strip him of his power. Expose him. Justice! We know sin requires justice. So God must be just, but he must be merciful. How can I optimize? These two compete with each other. If I'm merciful... I am being unjust. If I'm being just, I'm not being merciful. How can I balance the two? I, I must make someone pay the price of the sin. Someone must pay the price. Propitiation is an atoning sacrifice that puts away sin and satisfies God's just wrath. See, the wrath of God towards sin is just. It is fair. And it must be deposited somewhere. That rhymed. <laughs> right. It is just that it is fair and it must, depo- must be deposited somewhere. It must. And that's why the wrath of God was laid upon Jesus. Not upon you. Not upon me. Upon Jesus. Propitiation. This was so important that if you read the Old Testament, 
they had this special day called the Day of Atonement. It's in Leviticus chapter 16. You should check it out. Just see what Leviticus chapter 16 was about. Long story short, there were, there were priests that had to sacrifice animals, and so the blood would kind of appease the wrath of God. Weird stuff. Well, here's the thing. The Bible says that the blood of animals wasn't enough. It was never meant to be a solution. Back in the day when they used to sacrifice animals, it was just a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God that would spill His blood for us. There's no way around it. It's a bloody affair. Jesus had to partake human nature. He had to bleed. He had to die so that the wrath of God might be satisfied. Justice is satisfied. But because the wrath falls upon Him, we get mercy. It is the ultimate optimization. The ultimate balance of two competing things. And He willingly says, I will forever, not just for 33 years, I will forever become a man. And right now He's in the presence of the Father with holes in His hands. With scars. Because... He is the propitiation. He is the sacrifice. He is that atoning sacrifice. The death for us. Look at Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, it explains that yes, through that death, through that death, He atones for it. It doesn't use the word atone, but listen to what it says in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, And the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having, and there it is, forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There is a record of debt because of our sin. It's plain and simple. We are deserving of the punishment. But this he sets aside, excuse me, this he set aside, past tense, so good, nailing it to the cross. And here it is. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When you go back to the Hebrews 2 chapter, this is what it's talking about. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. See, the devil had a power over us because death meant condemnation. Death meant, for Satan, judgment. You guys are going to get what you deserve, just like I am. Judgment. But this power that the devil so-called has is stripped of all of its efficiency. Once he is disarmed by the canceling of the record of the debt by Jesus on the cross, it cancels it, it nullifies it. So the power of the devil is gone. That's why in Hebrews 2 it says that he's destroyed. It's not that Satan ceases to exist at that moment. It's that all of his power in subjecting you to fear of death and condemnation is gone. The fear of death and condemnation is gone. He has set the record of debt. He's canceled it, excuse me. He has set it aside, nailing it to the cross. We see it yet again in Romans 3. And here in Romans 3, it does say propitiation, our Sunday word. Atoning sacrifice, okay? Here's what it says in Romans 3, verses 23 through 26. This is one of the gospel essential passages. It's, one to, it's great to have in your pocket. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So once again, we deserve wrath, right? We deserve wrath because God is fair. He's just. He punishes. But it says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And here it is. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So in the past, he was putting up with sins. Long story short, because he knew this was coming. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That verse 26 rocks my socks off. That verse right there, that verse is that optimization. It's the balancing. He is being just, but he is being merciful by justifying you. Get that, okay? He is being just because blood is required, death is required to punish sin, but he's being the justifier. He's being merciful. All this is possible only because Jesus was incarnate. Without Jesus being fully man, none of this is possible. Why Christmas? Because in order for him to die for me in my place, he must be a human like me. In order for him to die in my place for me, he must be a human like me. There's no way around it. He is just He is the justifier. He's fair, but he's merciful. How? Jesus. Jesus becomes man. He's not just God. He is man. He still has nostrils. He still can scratch his skin if he needed to. Probably doesn't though. (laughs) He is fully man. Fully God. Now in light of that breakdown, let's look at that passage once more. And let's see it for its true worth. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, we are humans, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, that is his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I am no longer fearing death and condemnation because he took my place. And he could only take my place by becoming fully human like me. What a savior. See, I used to ask myself, why Christmas? I don't get it. I mean, we're celebrating he came for us to die for us. That's kind of what we celebrate on Easter, though we, yeah, we... Celebrate the resurrection. I get it. Different phases. But isn't it all kind of the same thing? He came to save us. Why are we celebrating Christmas? Because what he did in Christmas was amazing. He took forever on flesh. It's not a suit. It's him. He is man. He is God. That requirement is essential to redeeming us. That requirement is essential to the cross to the death, to the resurrection. How can you resurrect a God that can't die? He becomes man. It is so good. It is so good. That's what Jesus does. 
That's the meaning of Christmas. He takes on flesh to die. What a glorious yet humble king. What a manifold king. This is just, this is, without the incarnation, there is no gospel, says Albert Moeller. And he's right. Without the incarnation, there is, there is no gospel. Without propitiation, without someone replacing me and atoning for my sins, there is no gospel. There is no gospel. It's a bloody affair. It is. But the bloody affair was necessary. See, now, because we understand this, here's our realization of this passage, which is the meaning of Christmas. Jesus became human so that he could die. In dying in our place, the devil can no longer scare us with death since we are no longer condemned by sin. Let's break that down again. Jesus became human so that he could die. In dying in our place, the devil can no longer scare us with death since we are no longer condemned by sin. Furthermore, death does not have the final world. The final word, excuse me. We will resurrect. We will have bodies. See, often we think about, yeah, we're going to heaven and we're floating around. and That's not the end of the story, actually. Jesus comes back. And eventually, there's a new heaven and a new earth, and all of us get glorified bodies like Jesus. We are meant to be in this human flesh existence with Jesus, who has forever married that nature. He is forever tied to us. He's a sympathetic high priest, the Word says. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows. The exchange, the beautiful exchange of the gospel is not possible without him being human. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That exchange was only possible with a man. Only possible with a man. As the band comes back up, let's reflect and remind ourselves of the four fences Let's remind ourselves of who Jesus is. Yes, he is fully God, but yes, he is fully man. Yes, he is one person, but he has two natures, and they're not competing minds within him. He forever changed his nature by being not just God, but also man. Our representative, the person who takes the punishment for us, who takes our place so that we could be justified. He is just and the justifier. He is fair, but he's merciful. What an optimization. What a balancing. What a glorious and humble, manifold king. Humble yet glorious, man yet God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you so loved the world that you sent your son. And I I know sometimes, for me especially, it's hard to wrap my mind around this. Why did it need to happen this way? But your word speaks to us and tells us, because you deserved punishment, but I didn't want you to take it. You remember those things you've done? Those thoughts you've had? Those things you knew you weren't supposed to do, but you did? I was angry because of that. Because it's not fair that you did that to me and to others. It wasn't fair, so I was angry. But I didn't put my anger on you, son. 
I didn't put my anger on you, daughter. I put my anger on Jesus so that you could be justified, so that you could be free from the fear of death, from the fear of condemnation. Jesus became man for me. I pray at this moment, Lord, that you would remind us of this over and over again as Christmas, as American Christmas tries to get in the way of this with the gifts, with the lights, and with all the things that are happening around. The hot cocoa, all of the distractions that Christmas is, the Christmas movies, that we would remember that you became a man for a bloody affair that saved me from the death and the condemnation that I deserved. Remind us, Lord, keep this passage in our hearts. Keep it warm through Christmas that we may forever cherish this death, this resurrection that was only possible by a man nature. As the ushers come forth, I pray for the tithes and offerings. I pray that you would multiply the tithe and offerings, that they would be used to bless the community of Redlands around us, that we could spread the message of true Christmas to others, that they would not see the television portrayal of God, that they would not see the society portrayal of God, that they would see a God that became man for us. Help us spread this message. Help us bring others to you, Lord, that they would be freed, that the record of debt would be canceled for them as well. And as we continue through this series, ending next Sunday, may we cherish the incarnate Son of God, fully God and fully man. In Jesus' name, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.